Welcome to episode seven of I See Your Trade, brought to you by IC Markets. IC Markets is a leading high performance trading provider. IC Markets, beyond trading. I'm your host, Dan Petrie. Before we get into today's topic, let's lay out the rules of engagement. This is a bit like a game of professional sport, only instead of players, we're looking at financial assets. Instead of sporting coaches, we're getting the inside track from the Titans of Finance. We'll look at the form guide, the track record, and the tactical plays of our major players. Know the story behind the numbers. Go beyond the ordinary and prepare your game plan for the next trade. Let's get ready to rumble. Today we're talking about commodities. Yes, materials. The tangible, the edible, the consumable. It is the magic ingredient that has enabled our industrial age. Hard commodities from coal, to gold, to iron ore, to soft commodities that include wheat and butter. And a country called China that just can't get enough. Commodities have been around for centuries. And right now we're in boom time as we consume more and certainly eat more. To help explain the power of commodities, we are joined by two of the most well-known commodities mines in the market today. John McDonald is a geologist and director of mining research firm Argonaut Metals in Perth. And Gavin Wendt runs one of the most in-demand research newsletters in Mine Life that profiles mining companies throughout Australia as well as overseas. Gentlemen, welcome. Hi, Dan. Pleasure to be with you. So, Gavin, I'll start with you. Where did the commodities bug first bite? Look, I, th- I think it, I think it was growing up, and uh, it starts in price, primary school, and and indeed in in high school, learning about uh, you know what Australia does, what we do best. Uh, certainly, you know, historically, we've been very, very good at, uh, at growing things and digging stuff up and, and exporting it. Um, you know, we're probably the best in the world. And uh, I think uh, you learn that at a fairly uh, young age in terms of, uh, of schooling. So, uh, you know, that, that was certainly a, a major component of it. I think the other thing is that uh, to, for, for a lot of people, for a lot of lay people, um, the whole mineral scene is, uh, is a bit of a puzzle. Um, it's a bit of a mystery. Uh, it's got a language all of its own. Um, you know, we know that we understand the basics of what some commodities are and what they're used for, but a lot of the technical terms and the mumbo jumbo, the expiration terms, all of that stuff, the, the, uh, the components of the, the mining engineering side of things, Look, that was all a great big mystery, and I wanted to unmystify un- un- all of that. So I went down the path of uh, doing a science degree, geology degree, and uh, really getting my teeth into the sector. And I, and I think it's a it's a fantastic fantastic sector to actually uh, be involved with. You meet a whole lot of fantastic, interesting people, and you travel to some amazing places. Well, on the subject of interesting, John McDonald's had a a very interesting career. Now, John, uh, again, it's an extraordinary uh, career. 30 years, you spent time as a geologist. Um, you're with Argonaut now. Um, and you really are in this purple patch of this commodity super cycle, which you know, we've been talking about for the last 15 years. Where was your beginning in this industry? Well, I grew up in Pinjarra in the 1970s, so uh, I had the privilege of watching how that uh, the development of the aluminum industry transformed the town and fa- transformed my family's life. And 
And after that point, I, similar to Gavin, I went to university and studied geology. So uh, from that point on, it was all follow the um, follow your nose. Now, in terms of you say follow your nose, and, and Gavin, you said that it started at school. Can I just get like a, a, I suppose, a comment from both of you on where you see things at the moment? I mean, iron ore dominates in terms of an export value out of this part of the world, but the big gorilla, the 900-pound gorilla, is China's embrace of not just hard commodities but soft commodities. What what do you make of you know the near term for China because it's just dominated so much, particularly in the Asia pack? Gavin, I'll start with you. Well, China, the nature of commodities is is that they're inherently volatile. Um, it's never an easy path with respect to the resource sector, and when you've got one particular country like China. I guess, uh, uh, dominating the resource landscape uh, for more than 20 years. Um, there's going to be uh, accentuated volatility as a result of that. And uh, I think that's what we've seen, particularly over the last 12 months, uh, in a nutshell. It really encapsulates uh, the volatility of the resource sector. If we go back to March 2020, um, it was the end of the world as far as COVID was concerned. Uh, markets were falling off a cliff both financial and commodity, China stepped up and did a lot of the heavy lifting as far as commodity imports. They took advantage of the fact that commodity prices were very, very low. Um, they basically kept uh, the rest of the world afloat. Um, what we've seen over the last six months is uh, China stepping back a little bit. Um, as we often see, demand easing off, perhaps some uh, economic growth issues, but the rest of the world starting to step up, led by America. And that's what we've seen so far, you know, during the first half of calendar 2021, which has led to record uh, commodity prices and uh, record earnings for a, for a whole bunch of the major miners. Yeah, John, just on the China story, do you uh, have a different view or are you, uh, did uh, Gavin uh, pretty much sum it up well there? No, that's that's uh, well said. I I uh, think that China's at an interesting point now. I mean, it has dominated for the last 20 years and it's been all of the world's growth in commodity demand. And uh, the point they're at now, uh, there was a, a major initiative in, the, in 2017 when they uh, um, reformed the bank system so that uh, to transfer more of the uh, allocation of capital into um, to uh, uh, bond um, um, bond issues, uh, and that sort of reduced the importance of the, the central command uh, allocation of capital. And then uh, lately, what we've seen uh, the second wave of stimulus uh, in 2020 in response to COVID has been to do with the property sector and the way they've now only just now started to rein in uh, the property developers. Uh, and so if given those two events, it, it does make it a little bit harder for future stimulus to occur so that they've either got to wind back one of those two reforms or think of a new way to, to control capital and to, to stimulate again if, if uh, growth does start to slow. So we're at a very interesting juncture right now as far as commodities go. And China, as you say, is, is, uh, is all important. Like a common thematic a lot of people talk to me about is like they have this view of, you know, oh, I want to get into the commodity market. I want to ex exposure to it. I want to trade commodities. 
for the absolute novice out there, you know, John, I'll stay with you. What's the best way to learn about, I suppose, making money off commodities or even trading commodities? What's the best way in for the novice to, to look at this asset class? Well, be very careful for a start because it's a, um, it's a very crowded space and you're up against uh, lots of seasoned professionals in the uh, mining investment um, space. So uh, if you're going to embark on um, a commodities trading or a, even a share trading, then make sure you do plenty of work and just figure it out from from one end to the other. Uh, and then you've got to spend some time thinking about the psychology of it all because psychology run markets, runs markets. Well, Gavin, you spend your days and I dare say many of your nights looking at so many of uh, companies and not just in, in Australia where you're based, but also, you know, you look at operations around the world, particularly some of the copper miners. I know... What would you advise people if they're looking for uh, to put their proverbial toe, if you like, into the water? Just as John said, be very, very careful. I mean, the the, uh, the the share market itself, we're just talking about the share market, is inherently volatile. And when you look at the resource sector, you know, it's, it's volatility to the max. Uh, if you start looking at specific commodities, or if you look at the junior end of the of uh, the market, the resource sector, say on the ASX, you know, it, that vol volatility is further enhanced. And I think what uh, the bottom line for, in, for uh, people looking to get into the market is they have to uh, understand the fundamental difference between being uh, a trader or an investor. And I think the uh, term investor or investment gets overused. A lot of the uh, people out there in the market who call themselves investors really aren't investors. You know, they're traders, punters, speculators. And look, that's fine. If that's what you want to do, you're dealing with the market uh, on an ultra short term sort of scale, maybe a, a intraday or maybe over a period of uh, a few days or, or maybe a week. I think the, the best approach that you can have to the resource sector is to be an investor and taking an investment a proper investment uh, timeline or uh, investment horizon with respect to a, 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 a stock. For example, looking for that uh, emerging lithium play, for ex example, obviously the smaller end of the market is, is higher risk, but looking for that, uh, for that uh, investment story that uh, has the right combination of management, uh, expertise, project, ability to raise money, location, all of that sort of thing that can potentially turn a story from a, a 20 or 30 cent stock into maybe a dollar or, or $2 situation over at a period of time, maybe three to four to five years. I don't think anybody's averse to getting rich quick, um, but I think adopting the investment philosophy in terms of identifying the right sort of company early on with management, John would know all about these sorts of uh, criteria because the best companies always have uh, the right ingredients for success, but trying to identify those sorts of situations at an early stage and backing them and uh, allowing the management time to deliver on their, uh, on their uh, investment strategy, their operational strategy. Now, just one of the thematics which seems to be coming through a bit in the chat is like this next five to 10 years. So this is an area where I talk now about uh, the so-called big plays uh, for the sector. I mean, John, what do you see as the kind of the big thematics or the big plays um, for the mining and indeed hard commodity sector over the next decade? 
Well, the big story uh, that is yet to play out is uh, the electrification of the transport sector. So whether we're going to have to transform our economies worldwide to build in a low emissions future with electric vehicles, and that requires batteries, and batteries require a whole new set of commodities, the ones we've been used to, plus some additional ones that we have been. So we're talking about lithium, nickel, and copper also more likely to be intensively used. And there's a few others such as graphite and cobalt that also fit in the van. So there's a, a lot of activity now about around the restructure of that. We haven't seen the volumes, but we're certainly seeing activity on the ground that suggests it's all happening. So it's very hard to figure the implications of it all for investors because it gets driven up very high and uh, there's lots of expectation. And when the expectation is not met, we go back down the elevator and let's start again. So. I just want to take you up then, and I'll put this to Gavin, just on the battery component there. Like the technology around batteries is well known, but the advances, let's say, probably haven't materialised at the pace you would have expected, particularly over the last 20 years. Gavin, battery plays, like everyone thinks of Elon Musk and Tesla, but what's the story on the ground? Is uh, the electrification of vehicles the, the big play for the next decade? Well, the market expects it to be the case, and uh, I guess it will be because it's being mandated by governments now. And uh, the EU, uh, rightly or wrongly, have moved down the path uh, mandating that uh, (laughs) the vast majority of vehicles have got to be electric by 2030. I think the thing that we're perhaps overlooking in this is we seem to have made a a committed decision for for the right reasons, uh, environmental reasons, uh, quality of air and that sort of thing to move down the away from internal combustion engine vehicles. But as John would know, you know, we're, in terms of, say, the outlook to 2030, which is less than uh, 10 years away, there's an exponential increase in the rate of demand uh, that the market requires these new commodities by things like cobalt and copper and nickel. There's up to a 15 times increase in annual consumption uh, associated with these particular materials by 2030. Look, in the resource sector, we're flat out increasing or maintaining reserves typically for for most of the significant commodities, things like copper and nickel. So my mind sort of, the question my mind asks is, how are we going to increase by 14 or 15 times with respect to some of these uh, materials that we're needed? I mean, and it is, it's happening at a time when mining is becoming more and more difficult, uh, both in, you know, the, the buzzword these days is ESG. It's, for, it's getting increasingly difficult to uh, get mines approved and bring them to production. Yet we're supposed to increase output 15 times in some instances by, by 2030. So I, I just don't, I can't see it happening. I, I'd love somebody to tell me how it's gonna happen. And particularly if we take all uh, internal combustion engine vehicles that are currently being powered by oil uh, off the roads, um, that's gonna, in, that, that of course is feeding into the, uh, the demand for battery materials. And, and as John points out, it's not just the battery materials, um, it's the infrastructure that goes along with providing that energy infrastructure. So we're potentially swapping one environmental problem uh, for another. And the increase in um, surface mining that's going to be happening across the world is, is going to be unbelievable. Um, and that's if it can happen. 
because a lot of the uh, materials that are required are, are, are located in countries where sovereign risk issues are a big issue, a big factor, political risk issues, South America for copper, etc. I think at the end of the day, what it does do is it shines a light on Western Australia and Australia generally in terms of the fact that what we, what we can provide the resource sector in terms of the low risk uh, sort of scenario these vital materials, but it's going to be a very, very difficult uh, uh, target to achieve in my view. I'll just also add for both of you the other commodity, which, you know, um, it's not an industrial one in terms of its application, but it's a financial one in terms of that's really underpinned a lot of central bank balance sheet expansion, that's gold. Um, John, you know, Australia looks like it's going to fall down the league table in terms of its gold production next to the likes of Canada and, and even uh, Russia. I mean, what about gold for the next decade? Is that still going to have a, a fairly uh, strong story? It has been for the last 3,000 years. It's probably been for the next 3,000 as well, Dan. So so the Egyptians are onto something? Yes, for sure. <laughs> but uh, Gavin Gold, uh, how's gold looking? 3,000-year uh, outlook prepared to forecast? Absolutely, I agree entirely with uh, with John. Uh, as long as governments around the world uh, keep printing money and devaluing uh, their own currency, I mean that's if if we have a look at why gold has performed really really well from the year 2000 when it was trading below $300 per ounce, pretty close to when our own Reserve Bank under Peter Costello sold our uh, the majority or well, two thirds of our gold off below $300 per ounce, trading around about the $1,800 per ounce mark. You know, the intervening 20 years have been characterised by government money printing, the sliding value of the US dollar, which is the world's reserve currency, governments continuing to borrow and governments continuing to uh, to spend. There's no hope that interest rates can go back to anywhere near uh, normal levels of 3 or 4 or 5%. I mean, since the GFC, we've seen com- in terms of combined interest rate increases, I think we saw maybe 2 or 3 or 4 quarter percent interest rate rises. The fact is that the US Federal Reserve cannot put interest rates anywhere back to where they, they probably need to be because uh, it, would just, uh, it would just blow up the US economy. And those interest repayments, of course, instalments on all of that debt would uh, would go through the roof so at the end of the day i think uh you know goals here to stay the post gfc environment 2008 to 2011 12 gold performed really really strongly along with a whole bunch of industrial materials and i think we're going to see the same thing again this time around so just on that then in terms of you know like there's a section i like to put in called epic wins and fails uh gavin i think alluded to Possibly, and in hindsight, an epic fail in a central bank, uh, the Federal Reserve Bank, selling um, uh, gold for $300 an ounce. Um, in your life, though, you know, John, do you have any stories of people that have badly misread or had an epic fail uh, in the commodity space that uh, springs to mind? Uh, go back to um, the mid-90s and uh, the push by, say, BHP, they... They made some poor decisions on investments around the world. They had a policy of new projects in difficult places and difficult commodities. And I think there was three high-profile, high-risk projects that fell apart. That's just a, one of a list of many. So there's always decisions that, that don't go quite right. Well, Gavin, let, let's uh, be positive because you do you know, write a lot about, you know, 
the, a positive outlook for several companies you, you cover. Um, do you have a, an epic win that you could perhaps uh, uh, enlighten us on? Well, I guess, you, you know, following up on John's comments there about the major miners, yeah, they've had some major stuff-ups. And uh, look, they're, they're, at the present time, a major win for shareholders, the shareholders in the major miners, um, is the fact that uh, BHP and Rio and those guys have learnt from their catastrophic uh, failures of the past uh, instead of uh, when, when they've got cash in the bank, instead of chasing new projects and management trying to leave their mark, uh, they've adopted a more conservative attitude and they're focused on their organic pipeline of projects. Uh, they haven't expanded output at the wrong time. Uh, what that's meant is that it's led to significant commodity price increases. It hasn't been hamstrung. They haven't hamstrung prices by bringing new output onto the market. Uh, they've been happy to uh, return profits to shareholders in the terms of increased dividends. So that's been a, a real a real win-win at the big end of the market. I think, though, the smaller end of the market, it's fair to say that uh, what we've seen over the last two to three years is we've seen a whole pile of really good, well-qualified exploration companies being able to raise money and go out there with uh, strategic exploration programs and that are just coming up with the goods in terms of uh, exploration results. And, and, and probably the highlight um, of recent decades would be Chalice Mining, Chalice Metals with its Julemar discovery, not far north of Perth, amazingly, about 90 k's north of Perth, and this whole view that, you know, Australia has been well and truly picked over from an exploration perspective. We've got to go offshore. The low-hanging fruit has already been, been nabbed. I guess it goes to show that with uh, new exploration technique, greater knowledge, greater understanding, going back to some of these areas that were previously picked over but maybe not necessarily explored that well initially, um, there are fantastic uh, opportunities available. And to give you a bit of an idea, I think Chalice was tra trading uh, less than two year years ago. It was trading below 20 cents. Recently, hit a high of over $8. So that's a fantastic win. So we've basically worked out the difference between investing and trading, and they are clearly uh, apparent here. But to finish off things, I, I always ask uh, our guests to provide just a, a few words of wisdom. And John, uh, I'll ask you to kick off things. Again, for our novices, if you're looking to get in, you know, what's some words of wisdom you would give to somebody who's perhaps uh, taking a bit of interest in this space? I don't know if I can provide too much wisdom, but I'd, I'd sort of steer you to consider three aspects of an investment, uh, mining investment. So there's, there's the project itself, uh, spend some time to get to know that, um, the people, get to know them, and the price. So you need to know that you're not paying more than you should be. So and if you can get all three of those elements in your favour, then it's probably going to be a good investment, but it's very hard process, Dan, sorry. Gavin. Good luck. <laughs> do you have <laughs> the words of wisdom which will complement the, the truly excellent John McDonald? Yeah, well, I agree with John. I agree with John, absolutely. It's, it's, it's knowing and learning really quickly and, and learning from the right people. And, and along those lines, probably the best suggestion I could make would be to, um, if an investor hasn't invested in the resource sector previously, 
would be to dip their toe in at the big end of the market, say with a, a company like BHP, which offers a, a, a diverse exposure to a range of commodities. Um, you're not going to see the sort of speculative gains that you would uh, at a smaller company, but it's a very, very good way of, uh, I think, uh, educating an investor. You buy a stock like that, uh, read the quarterly reports, read the annual reports, digest the information that's online with respect to their operations, uh, the dynamics behind those operations, the, the, the commodity outlooks, the presentations, which are very, very detailed in terms of why a company like that is involved in the commodities that they are and why they might be potentially looking at expanding in certain areas. I think that provides a very, very good grounding, a very, very easy way to, to learn about the sector. And from there, a, an investor can expand out and maybe start looking at some of the uh, the medium-sized companies um, or indeed some of the junior companies once they've had confidence of, of learning the ropes, as it were. Well, on that note, to both of you, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. I'd like to thank you again. Gavin Wink from Mine Life and John McDonald. He's the Director of Metals and Mining Research at Argonaut. Thank you both, gentlemen. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. Thank you for joining me on Episode 7 of I See Your Trade, brought to you by IC Markets. IC Markets is a leading high-performance trading provider. IC Markets, beyond trading.